Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wa al-mursaleen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. So alhamdulillah we've uh, finally made it to our final class, our final discussion surrounding the uh, incident of Aisha anha. So a couple of things that we're going to do is first we're going to um, we're going to finish the story uh, and then we're going to take a look at some of the ayats that were revealed regarding Aisha's situation uh, and then we'll try to recap all of the lessons that we've covered so far. So our lessons up to this point are, we're at lesson number 44. So 44 lessons that we have covered throughout this story, all right? That's a lot to process, all right? So we'll recap the last two and then we'll move forward. So yesterday we, um, we stopped at lesson number 40, 44. So lesson number 42 was, you know, the difference, the way, the difference between the way that parents and elders, you know, handle situations and that, you know, there has to be, you know, a healthy medium, a healthy middle where the perspective or the paradigm of the, the elders, as well as the paradigm of the youth can meet cohesively, all right? And that was taken from the issue that Aisha had with the way that the Prophet Sallallahu her father Abu Bakr, as well as her mother, uh, Umm Ruman, the way that they handled her situation. Aisha was livid. Aisha was very upset with the way that they handled her situation. In Aisha's estimation, they should have defended her more they should have gone out a bit more in the way um in in terms of defending her if they knew that she was innocent you know aisha's looking at it from from her paradigm she's looking at it as well if you guys know that i'm innocent then why are you dragging your feet as it relates to defending me if if you know i'm innocent then why are you not defending me why are you not going out there and literally you know defending me if you know that I'm innocent, how can you tell me you know that I'm innocent, but then turn around and not go out there and not defend me against, you know, the slander of my name? That's from Aisha's perspective. From Aisha's paradigm, that's the way that she's looking at it. In addition to the fact that she felt like the Prophet, her husband, who, you know, you the same one out here proclaiming to everybody that you love me. You're out here proclaiming to everybody that, proclaiming to everybody that, you know, I am your most beloved wife. You love me more than anybody, but yet you didn't, you know, you didn't even talk to me for a whole month. A whole month went by. I'm sick. Not only am I sick, but, you know, my name is being slandered. I'm your wife. You're telling everybody you love me more than everybody else, but, you know, you didn't even take the time out to come out and sit down with me to find out how I was doing to, you know, help me process, you know, 
you know, what I was going through. In addition, you knew everything that was being said about me, yet you didn't come back and say anything to me. And then you have the audacity to come back and say to me that if I did something wrong, I should just simply make Toba, you know, you know, so I'm trying to give you Aisha's perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give you Aisha's perspective, her paradigm. All right. <clears throat> right. Where's the love? Where's the love? All right. And then in contrast to that, you look at Abu Bakr, his statement to Aisha at the end of it all, he, you know, walks up to Aisha, he kisses her on her forehead and he says to Aisha, you know, you know, can you, can you find it in yourself to forgive me, to pardon me? He said, Ayu tudilluni wa ayu kultu He said, what heaven could cover me and what earth would protect me if I had spoken before Allah, if I had said about your situation that which I really had no knowledge about? How would that make me look if I jumped out there to defend you and you know said some things and then revelation came down in contradiction to what I said? How would that make me look? And not only that, I am Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's main follower. And if he didn't speak out in defense of your situation, then how could you expect me to do that? I am his you know, chief follower. I'm his number one follower. So from Abu Bakr's perspective, this is the way that they were looking at it. You know, and of course, Aisha's mother, Umm Ruman, was kind of following her husband. And Abu Bakr was kind of following the Prophet. So there's this, these two contrasting paradigms that kind of just clash. And that is sometimes what happened with our elders, sometimes what happened with our youth, that the elders, they see things one way, our youth feel like things that should be done this way. And there's this constant you know, headbutting in the way that situations in the Islamic community how it should be handled. And we have to learn how to find a healthy medium. We have to learn how to find a middle course where the paradigm of the elders, the paradigm of the youth can actually merge cohesively without having to, you know, without having to, you know, no, it's not Sister Najma. It's not Aisha was right. That's where we go wrong. Because when you say Aisha was wrong, then you're actually dismissing the paradigm of the other. And what I'm saying, and this is what happens in marriages. It's like, I'm right and you're wrong. It's like, nobody has to be right or wrong. It's just a matter of two different perspectives. That's it. It doesn't have to be an issue of right or wrong. A lot of times husband and wife fall into an argument, fall into fights between themselves because one wants to be acknowledged as right, but if the person acknowledges you at right, by default, the other person is wrong. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a right or wrong. You know what I mean? That It doesn't have to be a right or wrong. Why can't it just be two people having two totally different experiences with the same issue? Why, why can't it be that? I don't have to see it your way. You don't have to see it my way. We are two 
different people having two totally different experiences with the same issue. It doesn't have to be who's right and who's wrong. You understand? And I, and thank you, Sister Nejma, for mentioning that. I, I appreciate you throwing that out there because it gave us an opportunity to correct that understanding. It's it's not, it's not about oh um you know from a, a dip, from this standpoint or from that standpoint Aisha was right. It's it's not about who was right. It's the same thing with Ali bin Abi Talib and Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan when as it relates to you know avenging the death of Uthman. Ali felt like, you know, I will avenge the death of Uthman, but not right now. Right now, I, the ummah is in disarray. The ummah is in, you know, huge confusion, you know, and I need to get everything under wraps. I need to get everything back in order. I need to restore order. Muawiyah's perspective was no, they just murdered Uthman ibn Affan. We need to go seek retribution. And so when people speak about the issue of Uthman ibn Affan, uh, or speak about the issue of Ali and Muawiyah, people always say, well, Muawiyah was right and Ali was right. And the fact of the matter is that when you say somebody is right, by default, you are saying that the other person is wrong. By default, you are invalidating the other person's paradigm, the other person's perspective. You are by default, when you say this person is right, that by default means that the other person was wrong. And when we speak about the Sahaba in, in that fashion, we speak with ihtiram, we speak with respect, we speak with reverence. These people did not intentionally, you know, did not intentionally decide to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the foundation of our ummah. This is where we build, you know, our entire blueprint comes from them. Our entire blueprint comes from them. So we don't want to get in the habit of saying, oh, this one was right and this one was wrong because you're invalidating an entire perspective that actually has some validity. It actually has validity. What Abu Bakr said to Aisha was absolutely correct. Do you want me to speak, even though you're my daughter, do you want me to speak before God? Can you be patient? Can you tolerate and just endure for a little bit until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals your innocence? Or do you want me to jump out there, you know, based upon my relationship with you and speak before revelation? You understand? So from Abu Bakr's perspective, he actually has a valid point. <laughs> but when you say Aisha is right, then you are simply saying that by default that the position that Abu Bakr took or the position that the Prophet took was wrong and they shouldn't have done it like that. La wallahi, man, we don't want to do that. We don't want to get in the habit of doing that. But it is possible that we can validate both perspectives. I see from Aisha's perspective why she feels the way that she felt. And I see why the Prophet وسلم, Abu Bakr and her mother, why they took the position that they took without having to say who was right and who was wrong. You don't always have to say, this person was right, this person was wrong. And this is what happens in our marriages. The wife is like, well, you know, just, just admit it, you were wrong and I were right. And it's just like, no, I'm not going to say that I was wrong. I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to say you're right and I'm wrong. I'm not going to do that. 
Because if I do that, then that just completely dismisses my perspective. That means that my, my perspective, my take on this issue has no validity whatsoever. That would be completely, you know, diminishing my, my role in the whole situation. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. So even in our marriages, we have to sometimes learn it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about validating the perspective, even though you don't necessarily agree with it. I don't agree with the way that you handled the situation. This is the way that it made me feel, but I understand why you did that. You know what I mean? No, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I mean, it's, it gives us an opportunity to have a discussion about it. I'm, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying just broaden, broaden your perspective on the way you look at it. Broaden your, your, your ideals, broaden your understanding, because we live in a world where everything is black and white. We live in a world where everything is either right or wrong. We don't live in a world where it's like, hmm, I'm, I don't necessarily agree with your perspective, but I totally get it. I understand why you would, you know, approach it like that. You understand? That's not the world that we live in, and that is part of our problem. That is part of the problem. We don't know how to say, honey, I don't necessarily agree. You know, I totally get why you feel while you're in your feelings, why you're in your feelings about this situation. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I, I get you. I, I, I got you. In that moment, you validated her feeling so she doesn't walk away feeling like an invalid. You validated her feeling. On top of that, you've also stated that I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm not a yes man. I don't have to agree to everything, every position that my wife has. I have to have the same position. Every single time my wife is in her feelings about something, I have to follow her in that? No. So then that means that I'm a complete invalid in this relationship. I don't have a right to have my own perspective. And somehow, if I explain to my wife that I don't agree with, you know, that particular, you know, approach, then somehow I'm the enemy. I'm the enemy of the state now. La wallahi, man. La wallahi. No. I can simply validate your feelings. I can say, honey, I understand why you would, you know, why you feel the way you feel. I totally get it. I got it. I don't necessarily agree with it. I wouldn't necessarily approach it like that myself, but I totally understand why you feel the way you feel. It's the best of both worlds. You validated the person's feelings and you've also stood your ground as it relates to your own perspective. Now, I'm not just a follower in this relationship. I do have say so. You understand? I, I do have say so. But sometimes, you know, women, you know, and you guys have to be mindful of this. Women, sometimes you guys get in your feelings. You get in your feelings <laughs> very easily, very quickly when your husband, your man does not see it the way that you see it. And, and, and that's not fair. That's not fair. So I'm supposed to completely put my feelings to the side and follow you down whatever dark path you choose to go down just so I can have peace in my house. You gotta be kidding me. I'm sorry, I don't live by those rules. And I wouldn't encourage any man to live by those rules. <laughs> you have peace in your house when your wife respects your paradigm. Not peace in your house when you were yes man agreeing to every single position every single feeling that your wife is experiencing, you agree to that. 
That's not a man. And that is not how you're going to have peace in your house. You are, ver- you are, you are venturing, you are teetering on the, on the borderline of being a cuckold. <laughs> you're teetering on being a cuckold. I'm sorry. Stand your ground as a man. Validate her feelings. Make her feel like, you know, I, I get your perspective. I get you. I understand why you feel the way you feel. I don't necessarily feel that way, but I do, you know, understand why you feel that way. And that's that, you know. All right. So that was number 42. 43, learning to forgive people. You know, um, the relationship that we have with one another is an extension of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That our, the relationship that we have with other human beings is an extension of our relationship with God. So if you want God to forgive you, if you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you, then you should learn to be forgiving towards other people. You, I mean, like, how do you raise your hand and say, oh, Allah, forgive me, but yet there's people in your life that you refuse to forgive. There's people in your life that you refuse to forgive. What if God refuses to forgive you? What if, what if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refuses to forgive you? What, what would be your situation? I did this, I, I had my fifth graders write an entire essay on what the world would look like if there was no, no concept of forgiveness. And we are living in this type of world right now where nobody is taking any L's. I ain't taking no L's. You're going to be a, you're going to be a winner <laughs> You're going to be a winner at everything. You ain't going to take no L's in life. Like that, that is some very shallow thinking. As an adult, you know that there's some things you got to walk away from. There's some things you got to take your hand off the table. There's some things you got to just kind of let go. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you don't have to ask me any specific situations. Should I forgive this person for this? Should I forgive the person for that? that that's your life, not my life. And that's on you. If you choose not to forgive the person, then you have to live with the burden of resentment. That's the fact. If you choose not to forgive someone, then you have to live with the burden of resentment. You got to live with that. The other person doesn't have to live with that. The other person may not even know that you resent them. The other person may not even give a damn. They hurt you and they kept it moving. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, you're sitting there gritting your teeth. You're sitting there angry and upset. I don't like this person. This person did this to me. This person did that to me. Meanwhile, they live in their best life. They don't even know that you feel that type of way about them. So who are you hurting when you decide not to forgive the person? Forgiveness is about you, not about the other person. That's your way of letting down your burden, (laughs) letting down your burden. I can't take that along with me. All right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Abu Bakr, Why don't you forgive and overlook? Wouldn't you want Allah to forgive you and overlook you? I'm saying that if you choose not to forgive a person, then you have to live with the burden of resentment. It, it's there. It's lingering in your subconscious. It's lingering in the back of your heart. It's lingering in the back of your mind. And it affects you in, in very subtle ways. It affects you in very subtle ways, man. 
and you are taking that person along with you along your journey. You can't shake the person. The person is, you know, tied to you by the hip. But Abu Bakr after that ayah was revealed, Abu Bakr said, Bala wallahi inni la uhibbu in yakfirullahu li faraja in a mistah and nafaka waqala wallahi la anzi'ahu minhu abidin. When Allah revealed that ayat, Abu Bakr said, Wallahi, I would love nothing more than for Allah to forgive me. And he started to give Mr. Sadaqah again, started to give him charity again. And he said, Wallahi, I will never deny him Sadaqah again. I will never deny him Sadaqah again, which led us to lesson number 44. And that is don't let your dislike for a person block your blessings. Don't let your dislike for a person block your blessings. Abu Bakr, because he, you know, was angry with Mistah for talking about his daughter, he decided, I'm not going to give him charity anymore. And in him deciding not to give Mistah charity anymore, he was only blocking his own blessings. You're not hurting him. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Don't let your dislike of a person cause you to block your own blessings. So for, I'll give you a modern day example, something that goes on with many Muslims. You might not like this person. The person walks into the masjid, assalamu alaikum, and you don't return the salams to him, right? You ever seen that? We've all at some point been a victim of that. We've given a person the greeting of salam, assalamu alaikum, and the person walked right past you, don't even give you the salam. Why? Because they don't like you. They're upset with you. They consider you a deviant. They consider you a stray, or you're not, you know, as a Muslim woman, you're not dressed according to what they consider appropriate dress. So you give the greeting of salam, salam alaikum, sisters, and sister walks right past you, don't even give you the salam. Because in her mind, you are not dressed properly. In her mind, you are not a real Muslim. In her mind, you don't deserve the return of salam. Meanwhile, returning the greeting of salam is an obligation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that when a greeting is given to you, then return it with one that is better than it, or at very least a greeting that is similar to the one that was given to you. So if I come in the message and I say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, your response to me is wajib. Your response to me is an obligation. And your response to me should be wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah at very least or wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You understand? So you're going to walk past me after I've given you the greeting of salam. Salamu alaikum. And you walk right past me because in your mind, I'm not Muslim enough. In your mind, I'm not a real Muslim. In your mind, I don't deserve the return of peace. I don't, I don't deserve that. I'm not deserving of that. So you will block your own blessing because of your dislike. You understand? It's, it's asinine. You will block your own blessings because your dislike of this person. Meanwhile, you might not even know this person's why. You see the person, you say, Salaam alaikum. Or the person says to you, assalamu alaikum, 